Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at Housing Wire, here with the latest episode of the Housing Wire Daily Podcast. On Mondays, my guest is always Housing Wire Lead Analyst Logan Motoshami, so we can cover the latest economic news. But before we dive in, here's a brief word from our sponsor. TMS is out to grow happiness for you and your customers. From the way they pick up the phone to the innovative, intuitive technology that makes things easier for you and your customers, TMS is all about providing the best experience in the industry. It's why they have grown to one of the top 10 in the nation and why they've earned a 98% customer satisfaction rate. Partner with TMS and see for yourself at subservicing.themoneysource.com. Okay, we are ready to get to it. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is great to be here. Great to be here with you, especially um, with some of the most recent reports from last week on uh, housing permits, um, housing starts, uh, housing completions, and then, of course, existing home sales. So you have so much to talk about. Let's start with um, the biggest news from your perspective. Well, existing home sales came in as a very big beat. And uh, I believe that some of the demand that we had for December spilled over to January as December data uh, was a little bit uh, lighter than expectations. So when you average them two out, it's still the same story. Uh, Mother demographics is kicking in years 2020, 2021, and in 2022. The mortgage demand uh, toward the last five months of 2021 picked up. And you could see sales uh, getting above to uh, over 6.2 million, which was the peak range that I was looking for last year. So we ended off on a very solid note. And I believe that's the big reason January uh, came in much better than expected. But the bad story is inventory dropped once again. So uh, uh, the total existing inventory right now from the NER's report is 860,000. So when you think of a population of over 330 million, and you look at everything, what's going on uh, since 2020, the inventory crisis continues in the United States of America. Okay, great. And this goes right into the housing permit story that you wrote last week, which was housing permits look great until you look at completions. So tell us a little bit about that. You know, uh, as new home sales grow and as the demand for multifamily construction grows, you know, permits are in that kind of uptrend since the lows we've seen in the previous expansion. Uh, but permits hit almost 1.9 million. Uh, and then you look at housing completions, and we have gone nowhere for three years. Uh, it is really, really just disheartening to see that you have such a solid permits data, which is very slow and steady. It's, it's not anything record-breaking demand or anything like that. But you have that much demand to push permits forward, but the completions are just going nowhere. And there is a risk to that. Yeah, I think the builders are mindful of this. If mortgage rates do rise to a certain level where the new home sales sector gets hit, you might see some cancellations going out in the future uh, with some some of the, some of their homes. But uh, the fact that we can't close 
uh, or finish homes in a timely manner just shows, you know, kind of a longer term issue with housing. The productivity issues have always been very weak here in construction for decades. But also this, you know, all global pandemics create shortages for one to two years and where everyone's dealing with it. The only real issue is it's years 2020 to 2024. So the U.S. household formation demographics, the spending that, you know, that group kicks into us gives us a little bit more demand than normal. And we we see it in all economic data, too. I mean, retail sales uh, last week uh, uh, beat noticeably as well. So it's an unfortunate reality, but it's a reality that we have to deal with in the United States of America. You know, talk a little bit about the fact that um, what builder sentiment looks like, because that's something you brought up in your recent article that I really hadn't reckoned with before is like what to look for with the downtrend because people are like, oh, well, it's still really high. And tell us why that, what we should be looking for. Yeah, there. yeah I think the, the HMI or the Builder's Confidence Survey, um, a lot of people will look at that data and it looks like at a historical highs, right? You know, it's 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 it, uh, on a historical basis, it's good. It's really just designed for a trend direction. So, in the previous expansion, when the builder's confidence was rising all the time, it was correct. You know, housing starts were growing. You know, uh, new home sales were growing. wasn't anything spectacular, but their confidence rose, and it got near the two thousand six level. So, if you're looking at as as a volume of new home sales versus uh, confidence, don't look at it in that way. Look at trend direction. So. If we have three or four months of, uh, of the builder's confidence falling, that means something is wrong. If it increases uh, uh, for three or four months, that is something good. And that's what happened last uh, year. The builder's confidence had been rising when people were talking about you know, housing being 20% oversupplied or it's FOMO and there's no reason demand should stay up here. And no, builder's confidence was rising throughout all that. And I think that was... That's the best way to look at it. Uh, don't look at it on a historical perspective. Uh, it's gone nowhere the last uh, two months. So, you know, housing's probably pausing on that front. Uh, if it does pick up, you know, we see more permits, we see maybe the supply chains get better, then the HMI confidence data could rise a little bit more. But there's, we're soon going to be kind of away from making COVID-19 adjustments. And I think that was one of the big stories last year is that, to me, a lot of housing bears in the second half of 2021 didn't make COVID-19 adjustments. So they see the purchase application data be negative, which has been negative since June 2nd of 2021. They didn't do any COVID-19 adjustments. So they thought that housing was crashing. It was a complete opposite story. You have to just make some adjustments to the data, take the a surge in demand that we saw in 2020, and then work off of that. And then now we're pretty much free and clear from that for the rest of the year. So I think it'll be, it'll be a healthy way to look at housing data without the COVID-19 extremes. So from your perspective, starting in March, we we should no longer have to to uh, make comparison, like like make adjustments to no, the COVID No, no. In fact, purchase application data starting from next week uh, should be free and clear. Uh, I, I thought we had some spillover in the purchase application data in early 2021. So expect uh, uh, some negative year-over-year data still. It was, it's been negative uh, the entire year so far, but demand is stable. So uh, we should be free and clear for the rest of the year compared to what we had to deal with in 2021. Well, let's talk about mortgage rates, a perennial, uh, perennially uh, favorite topic or popular topic uh, for our audience. What is going on there and what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, well, unfortunately, as we speak, the 10-year yield has not been able to uh, rise above 1.94% with any meaningful manner, but it's actually below uh, currently right now as of this second 
1.927. I'm a bond market guy. Uh, I can make a premise in 2021, like I did in the forecast, that the 10-year yield can get above 1.94%. We can have 4% plus mortgage rates, but it's Japan and Germany's 10-year yield that really needs to rise. And it is a noticeable increase in the, the yields in Japan and in Germany. So what we have to look for in the, in, in the future is that can economic data stay firm and can global yields uh, not go back down? Because recently, some of the Japan and Germany's yields have fallen. Our yields have fallen. There's a lot going on with the Russian-Ukraine situation that can drive money into the bond market. But going out for the rest of the year, data needs to stay firm. The rate of growth of inflation can't fall too dramatically. Uh, and then we could stay above 4% or even get to 45 about 2.42% on the 10-year yield. If the data gets weaker and the rate of growth of inflation falls and bond yields around the world go down, then we're going below 1.94% and probably lower, like we are right now at this very second. So it's it's a really big tug in war. But the core premise for the 2022 forecast is we need Japan and Germany's 10-year yields to rise. We need global yields to rise. And it has. Now it's can we hold it? Can we increase it? Is data going to get slowed down? You know, so this is where the battle happens. I know that uh, for a lot of people, those uh, rising rates are not good news. It depends on on where you are in the market, who you are. I know for mortgage lenders, they're never really excited about mortgage rates going up. You know, for me, it's the the economic aspect of housing. When you are telling people you have to worry about home price growth getting too hot. When you tell people, hey, listen, inventory is broken to all-time lows. This is going to be an issue if demand stays stable. You want to create a more balanced housing market. So the only way that happens is if mortgage rates rise. And the only issue is that mortgage rates in the bond market has been falling for uh, four decades. In reality, it's been falling for 800 years. So you're in a predicament here. Can mortgage rates even get high enough, long enough to create this demand? Because my, for my take, housing being stuck is the problem. You know, uh, people just sitting in their homes longer and demand not really uh, waving because inventory itself has been falling since 2014. Even when mortgage rates got to 5% in 2018, it didn't budge the total inventory levels. But where we are right now in total inventory is danger zone, right? That's been my theme for, for a while now. We got to get off of this danger zone. We got to get days on market higher so people have choices. The longer we stay here, the more unhealthy home price growth is. And that is not a positive uh, when you're looking at it as a, from the economic standpoint. You know, one of your recent articles was, is, is now really the worst time ever to buy a house? And, you know, why, why, were, why was that the headline we went with? What, what, from your perspective, why is it or is it not the worst time ever to buy a house? Here, here's a great aspect. Look at the existing home sales report. Beat expectations much higher than it was in any single year from 2008 to 2019. So if, it's, if consumers are believing that it's the worst time to buy a house, then why are sales so high? It's because it's the opposite uh, 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 of the, what people are interpreting it as. The worst conditions to buy means that inventory is too low. It's not because Americans don't want to buy. They want to buy. They just don't want to compete with all these other people. And then on top of that, you have home price growth accelerating uh, beyond trends. So I agree with the sentiment. I disagreed with the people last year that were saying housing was crashing in the middle part of 2021 20, uh, because the sentiment index collapsed to all-time lows. There's another data line that collapsed to all-time lows. Let me think. Oh, wait. It's total inventory. Don't overcomplicate it. 
Nobody likes competition, right? You just want to place an offer in a house, get it, move, have all the time you need to do everything. You don't want to say, well, I'm, I'm bid number 17 out of 34. I didn't get it. That is a very stressful situation. So as long as people understand that, uh, uh, then they won't be led astray. I think what happened last year, what I saw was incorrect, was the uh, perceiving it that that was it. Housing demand is going to fall. Sales are going to collapse a million to a million and a half because it's the worst time ever. And that wasn't the case. That was actually a very terrible rookie uh, mistake to make if you were a data analyst. Well, I think one of the things that I know just gets under your skin is when is when you have questions from people who are like, is now a good time to buy a house? Should I buy a house? Because how you tend to interpret that is like, listen, if you as a grown person have to ask me whether you should buy a house, you're not ready. You are not ready. You <laughs> are not ready. And I, and I take it. I said, listen, you don't ask me if you want to have sex with your spouse, right? So you should not be asking me. Should I buy a home? You yourself are an adult. You're buying a payment. You know better than anyone else if that payment is affordable to you because you have your choice. You have a rent payment or a mortgage payment, right? So if you are, I'm afraid to buy because I don't want to buy a house at the top of the market. There are a lot of people toward the end of 2021 that says, oh no, you better watch out. Uh, population growth is falling. Do you really want to buy at the top? Housing's 20% oversupplied. Oh, what happened? American home buyers, when they're ready, they buy. So whenever somebody asks you, says, you're not ready. No, you're not ready to buy. When you are ready to buy, you buy like millions and millions of Americans every year. It's, it's astonishing. Even during a global pandemic, they're like, oh, I need somewhere to live. So you should think of it as that simple. But if you're like, oh, it's the top, don't buy. Think about the anxiety you would have living in a home so petrified that home prices could collapse 40, 50, 60% or whatever, you're not ready, okay? Everyone else is ready. You're just not there yet. And when you are ready to buy, oh boy, you don't need to ask anybody. You're out there fighting for that house because you're just buying a payment, a shelter payment. That's all it is. Housing is a cost of shelter to your own capacity to own a debt. It's not an investment. Don't get caught into that investment prices or everything game, right? That hasn't ended well for a lot of people for 10 years now. I think, you know, I always laugh when you when you talk about it because I can understand, you know, your average person going, well, is this a, you know, am I, it's not an, an investment. At the same time I'm, that we say that, we also say housing is, is the way to build wealth. So most people, it, it's both somewhere they have to live and it's an investment, right? And they don't want to buy at the top. The reason I disagree with that premise is that there's nothing in the data in the last 10 years based off demographic trends to show that there's a mass amount of American citizens sitting there not buying a house because they're afraid to buy. It's a very clever marketing theme, I think. But there's nothing in the data. The only time that we ever saw something is that when COVID-19 happened, the entire general economy took a pause. And then within six weeks, it shot right back up again. So that was an event that created a pause. I just don't think there's a mass amount of American people sitting there thinking for 10 years, well, my friend James told me on Facebook that home prices are going to go down 70%. So I'm going to wait. If that was the case, we would see it in the data, uh, uh, but it's a great talking point. But, oh, Americans are tough, badass people, man. You all right? Look at, they just, when they're ready to buy, they buy. It's all good. It's this 
marketing fanatical myth around housing, or what I call it, the trolling of housing is, oh, you better watch out, you better watch out. People buy shelter because you, if you make money, you have a choice. You're either homeless or you rent. And we just have a little bit more demographic patch people and they're buying homes. There's nothing abnormal about that, but the trolling of housing has made this. So that's the best way because the old high school basketball coach in me says it this way. If you're asking me, you're not ready, right? So you know, because all these other people know. Why do they know when you don't? They're ready. They're ball players. You? No. Go back to the bench. Well, and we know that they're ready because it's the demographics that's driving this, right? I mean, the, the housing demand is driven by the age of the people, the, the huge wave of millennial people ready, ready yes, to buy homes. Yes, and home. supposedly the millennials with the student loan debt crisis, living in basements, can't afford avocado toast. Oh, and now they're buying homes. So the other question is like, wait a second, home buyers, home prices are getting out of hand. It's investors, it's Wall Street. If you're not hating on millennials, and mortgage buyers for causing this home price, you've defied the logic of math. The bigger buyer is the mortgage buyer always. Hate on them. Scold those kids. It's their fault. They're buying homes. They're getting married. They're having sex. They're having kids. Blame them. Why are you? Wall Street doesn't even buy that many homes compared to them. So there's a lot of talking points in housing that you just got to knock right back down and get people back to reality. Okay, one of those I have to bring up. I know you've talked about it before, but it, it's had a it, it just pops back up. It'll have a resurgence out there in the social world, and we see it. And that's that whole idea that housing somehow is twenty percent oversupplied. Like I, I don't even know where how someone can say that with a straight face. Okay, what, what is your answer? So, to that? so let, let's let's be clear here. There's only one person that said housing was twenty percent oversupplied, and that was Ivy Zellman, excellent analyst remarkably very smart lady because I knew what she was doing. She made this statement about housing's oversupply, FOMO, emotional eating. Like, you guys remember the Grinch in Christmas, the emotional eating he did, all that spaghetti eating, he ran out of food, he had to go back in town and get the food. Home buyers don't do that, really. You know, emotional buying is, is more of a marketing thing. What Ivy Zellman was talking about was if rates rise, the builders will pause construction. And because all the bearish American citizens, who are mostly anti-central bank fanatics, saw that, Ivy Zellman played them all out. They got her. She just wrote a book. They all did interviews with her. They talked about Ivy Zellman. Guess what happened? Within the like the three months that Ivy said that mortgage demand picked up, we ended off. And right before the new home sales report came, that was good. She came on TV and said, oh, housing's super strong. I was long KB Homes. So I didn't buy the act, but I give her really, I mean, she just played so many people so well. So kudos to her. That is a very savvy lady right there. She she worked it very well. 20% oversupplied would mean the builders. And I think that's her work is more tied to the new home sales market. Over time, when demand falls, because we do this every economic cycle, right? Go look at housing starts for the last four decades. There is a period of time where demand falls and starts go back down. Perfectly normal. There's nothing wrong with that. That's how business cycles work, right? Our job is to create models to tell people when that's happening, not to, hey, listen, here it is. We're 20% oversupplied, FOMO, everything, okay? So there is this huge housing ecosystem about marketing and telling people when the crash is coming, when all that. Believe in people who believe in economic models. They will show you a pathway to get there. They don't scream something bad is happening and then it'll, you know, down the line, oh, wait a second, five years ago I said that. No, 
We run with the data all the way to the end of the expansion, recession, recovery over and over again, one week at a time, one day at a time. That is terribly boring. I get it, but that's the right way to do it. Well, let's talk about that expansion versus recession. You have certain, you have a recession model. You have certain things that once those flags come up, you're, you're looking to when the expansion is going to slow down. So tell us where we are in that cycle from your perspective. So the six recession flag model, the number one is uh, for me, the unemployment rate got down to a certain level. The two-year yield had crossed a, a really inflection point red flag raise because that means the Federal Reserve is going to raise interest rates soon. And guess what? We're not that far away from the first Fed rate hike. When that happens, uh, red flag number two gets raised. The inverted yield curve, you know, people are going to hear about that when the two-year and the 10-year, typically when that happens, usually the recession is not that far out. I'm already on inverted yield curve watch. That hasn't happened yet. You kind of want to see uh, when housing starts and home sales fall, they kind of fall going into a recession. That isn't the case here. So that isn't that isn't being checked off. Leading economic index. Uh, it, it's a set of multiple data lines. Typically, this falls four to six months. When it does, that's another red flag. And you kind of want to find the last one is where is the overinvestment in the cycle right now? What's the booming uh, uh, aspect? You know, you, you, people could say, look at all these tech stocks uh, crashing 60, 70% from their highs. That's not really the recessionary uh, uh, model. You can take a look as are we going to really put a mass investment into creating more supply? And if that demand doesn't hold up, then you're going to have more supply that you need. Jobs probably going to be lost. Peloton is a really good example. I, I tell I tell people, look at what Peloton did. They were booming. They built out all these manufacturing and then demand collapsed and they had too much supply. So they just laid off 2,800 people, 20% of their workforce. Think of that on the economic sense. Uh, you know, when if new home sales start to fall and supply increases, we create models for that you know, eventually you don't need that many construction workers. So that's the equilibrium that you have to work with at every economic expansion cycle. And where is the overheating uh, uh, sector right now? I mean, the one area retail sales is on fire. Uh, the rate of growth is slowing, but you could see that big boom from 2021. Uh, so we'll we'll keep an eye on that. I mean, that's, that's what our job is. But uh, yeah, so far only one, but we are very close to having two or three more checked off. Yeah, I was going to ask you just to to give us it. So from your perspective, do you have a timeline on that or you're just waiting to see what that looks Once like? the six flags are raised, then we're on recession watch. Then we really start to focus on the data. You know, what happened with COVID, the, 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 the very interesting thing with COVID-19 is the economic data had been getting better toward 2019. And some of our economic data was really good in February of 2020. Housing authentically broke out. Leading economic indicators had an all-time high. And then COVID happened and all that was, was a pause, right? It wasn't the economic data. It was just a simple pause in the economy. And we shot right back. It was the fastest recovery in history. It was the shortest recession. The America's Back Recovery Model was written on April 7th, 2020. That was the bottom. Game's over. The expansion is on. Um, so we'll we'll get there. But I think it's better to talk to people about, you know, how do you create a model and a pathway rather than a date, right? Because then everyone can realize what to look for because everyone can do this to a degree, right? So you don't get caught into the hype about a recession every single day that's happening or anything like that. I love that. That's one of the reasons that we have you on on a regular basis. It's why you write for us. Uh, we just had that amazing economic summit that we did. you did with uh, four other economists 
uh, five other economists. We, we had a, a great roundtable discussion. Everyone kind of brought something different there. People can find that on demand at Housing Wire. It was a virtual economic summit. And that's why we keep talking to you because things are changing every day. Yes. Money and economics never sleep. And uh, you got to keep all this stuff one day at a time, one, one week at a time, one month, and then show the pathway, right? Let data be your guide uh, toward a recession and expansion. When housing slows down, you know, we, we, we wrote that article for Housing Wire last year. Give people a pathway so they could see it for themselves. What, what are you looking for this week um, as we see other economic data come out? What are the stories you're looking to write? Well, the new home sales report is next, and that this is the sector where it gets really interesting because monthly supply for new homes is is roughly at six point uh, uh, six months. That's kind of the the upper echelon of my uh, level for them. Uh, but it's also we're dealing with a sector that's just taking forever to close. Uh, or to finish a home. So there are some different variables in this expansion that's never been, uh, uh, or we've never dealt with in in other ones. Uh, New home sales is doing fine. It's, but again, it's slow and steady growth. That uptrend is intact. So wanting to see how the supply is, where medium prices, because one of the, one of the problems I have with this housing cycle is that home prices are really accelerating too much. And the builders are making their money. They're making their profits. Their, their shareholders are happy. But when bond yields go up, you know, their, uh, their stock prices uh, get hit a little bit because people are anticipating it. They've pushed a lot of price, uh, uh, pricing power on the customer over the last two years. So uh, keep an eye on new home sales and mortgage rates now that, you know, we've got to 4%. At what point does it impact their uh, sales and their supply goes up? Because it, it isn't like a booming demand cycle where you see an epic crash, but it could be a very struggling back and forth uh, action and that will slow down housing permits and then there's so much homes they still have to fix so it's a messy situation in the housing starts and new home sales sector that's very unfortunate and messy for not just borrowers but obviously the real estate agents the mortgage lenders trying to serve them it is not easy out there yeah it's really it's really unfortunate that this period of time in history all this is happening you know because uh uh, I had anticipated a very smooth five-year process. Millions of people buy homes. You know, hopefully, you know, uh, home price growth doesn't accelerate too much, and and we're dealing with a global pandemic and shortages, and nobody could get a garage door for their homes. It's just, yeah, not the most prolific time in history to have the best housing demographics ever. Logan, thank you so much as always, and we will uh, keep watch this week for those articles that you're going to write. We're going to be looking for uh, new home sales and, and other things. Thank you so much for joining us as always. My pleasure to be here. Thank you. Looking for more insight into what will happen in 2022? Or maybe you need more information on what in the world is happening with the federal regulators. Or you could just be looking for information on how to stay competitive as the industry shifts to a purchase-focused market. Our HW Plus Premium Membership comes with all of this insight and more. With your HW Plus Membership, you'll get at least five HW Plus articles a week that dive deeper into the daily news to help you confidently make business decisions. To join, go to housingwarrant.com forward slash membership. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. 
and make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.